Hello and welcome to the Negative Space Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Sippy. As a reminder, all of these episodes are recorded live in front of an actual audience. So if you want to join and bring your questions to the panel, you can check out the Negative Space website for a full schedule and registration as well. Also, the, the video recording is on YouTube, so you can watch that as well. Now then, on to the show. Today, we're going to be talking with Juni Ba about his journey as a creative, establishing his own style as an artist and a writer, and much, much more. So Juni Ba is the award-winning cartoonist of Jalea at TKO Studios and Monkey Meat at Image Comics. He was born in Senegal, and after years of living between different cultures, he decided to channel his influences through his passion for illustration. Juni, welcome aboard. Thank you. <laughs> it's always weird hearing like the, the introductions. So Juni, I want to start at the beginning of your journey as a creative, and then we'll work into how you find your way into comics where you are not all that good stuff. But was there a, a sort of starting point that you feel like as a creative where it was like, this is the moment where I realized I wanted to tell stories, albeit visually or, or just writing? Was there an epiphany or was it always sort of something you were going to do? I always say that the moment that I chose, I was 11 years old. I guess it was sort of a, of a light bulb moment, but the the, mm -hmm. the elements were always there. Like I was a kid who was imagining stories with his toys, but like way too complicated stories of like, when I discovered that Marvel and DC had like massive shared universes, I was like, I have been doing this since I was six years old. So I'm not necessarily that <laughs> surprised, uh, but that impressed because that's what I was doing when I was a kid. And then uh, I discovered Sonic the Hedgehog and I started making Sonic comics. And then from there, it was like, I enjoy drawing and making stories. And turns out this is something that like people get paid to do. So I might as well try to, to get paid to do something that my brain seems to already be wired for. for. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was, it was more of like, try to make money out of the only thing you seem to be able to do. Was that your goal? Like, what was your goal when you first started creating these universes and writing these comics? Was it just fun for you to tell stories? Oh, yeah. Or were you trying to... Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, I started, it started out just being like a fun thing to do with a friend. And then and then very quickly, it became more of a, I want to get better at this. Uh, and, and I became sort of obsessed with buying comics and trying to figure out how they were made, like what, what the different art styles, how they, how they actually make those books. Like, how do you draw this? Why did you draw with this style instead of this one? What kind of effect does it have? Mm -hmm. that, that sort of thing. Um, like I was the kid who would go to the same bookshop and just stand in front of the the older comics that they had and very carefully choose which of them I was going to take home depending on what was in there because what was in there was going to be what, what, what I was going to study for the past, for the next month or so. I find that so interesting that even from a young age, you were looking at these, not just from a reader standpoint, but from like a studying standpoint. Was what so even from a young age, you realized that this was something that you wanted to do and you were already taking an analytical approach of how you can, were you thinking like, how can I mimic them or how can I do something different or what was sort of your approach in studying them? Mostly it was mimicking at first for a long time. It was a lot of, of I'm trying to understand, like it's the very classic thing. You like a thing, you start drawing the thing. So like yeah. every kid, we were all drawing Dragon Ball Z characters and stuff like that. It's just that I kept doing it, whereas a lot of my classmates just stopped because they got older and their interests their interests changed. For me, it was very much like, I want to know why this works and I want to know how to make it so that I can do it for myself. So yeah, the, and, and I've always been very like, I'm analytical in every aspect of my life almost. I guess like it's also why drawing is good. Like drawing and making stories is a lot of problem solving. 
it's a lot it's a good way to sort of focus my brain because in every other aspect of my life this this tendency to be analytical isn't necessarily the best like especially socially like drawing is something that makes sense to me in ways that and nothing else does it feels like comics was always going to be the perfect fit for you were there other routes you had considered going with your artistry or was it always going to be comics i knew that i wanted to draw i wasn't it, I guess it wasn't necessarily always going to be comics. It could have been games or something or movies or whatever. But very quickly, I realized that it wasn't just about drawing. It was also about being able to tell stories with it. And mm -hmm. the most convenient medium for that was comics because you can make one alone in your room. You don't have, you don't, you don't need to have a big budget. And if you can do everything yourself, you don't need collaborators. Whereas movies, you can't do anything. You can't do much anyway with just you. You have to like games mm -hmm. similarly. You you have you need to have much more uh, knowledge and like a lot more expertise in different areas. Whereas with comics, you need to be able to know how to tell a story and draw, and that's basically it. And, and that's a good segue because I was going to ask, since you're one of those people who who does the the visual art and the writing, what it sounds like the the illustration came first for you is that right when did you start developing as a writer too i guess i was making i was making stories before i was drawing like just the stuff that i was doing with my toys was already like creating a universe and and thinking about the psychology of the characters and i and i even still i even still remember myself just like i was acting like a director when playing meaning that my eyes were the camera and i was both the director and the audience so if i if i wasn't happy with the way say a figure was standing or the, the visual angle that i had i would redo the scene for myself because i wasn't happy with the first time that it was done and that was before i started drawing anything i i, I mainly asked about the writer and illustrator side because as i was telling you before we started like you have such a distinctive style in both writing and illustration, but the illustration, especially because that's in comics, you know, that's what stands out the most. It, it's just, it really stands out a, a, apart from a lot of the other stuff that's out there. And I'm curious when, or what, when that style started developing and what were some of the influences that helped you find your style as an artist? I mean, it's a mix of a bunch of stuff, but like the, the big ones would be Cartoon Network and Hellboy. Uh, I think it's also because I, I always sort of, preferred things that were drawn very simply like the most simple shapes and very striking images so i grew up on a lot of cartoon network what i would say is that i enjoyed the fact that you could have a show that would be very silly like let's say dexter's lab but on the on the same channel you would have something like batman and the animated series which was much more intelligent and much more complex and like i i every year almost i rewatched the justice league tv show just because I love how they treat their characters. Like I always gush to my friends about how, how I love how the characters are written, but I also love how the design of everything is handled. So it was it was kind of a school of like, here's all these different things that you can make with just art. Samurai Jack was the biggest one. And then when I was like 16 or 17, I found Hellboy. And he was the second big, like, I had, I had grown, I had read a lot of manga when I was a teenager. And I was always sort of, feeling insecure because I could not draw the same way that they did. And Hellboy was sort of like, you can draw in a way that no one else does. Like the way he did it was very weird and, and very, especially his way of doing things. It was sort of like a light bulb moment of like, you don't have to draw like the guy who, make Naruto, who makes Naruto. You don't have to, you don't have to draw like those people. You can, you can go for an art style that is very different and 
very graphic in design. And yeah, and it started from there that I started discovering more and more creators doing different things. And so now I'm sort of like trying to pull from different influences. But yeah, I guess it started mostly with those. Yeah. Was that an easy process for you? Because I know that's something that so many creatives struggle with is this like what you can and cannot do, what looks the same as what's there and what can be different. You know, the way you describe it, it's like you saw Hellboy and you're like, oh, okay, I can do something different too. Was that an easy process for you? Or was there like a reckoning where it took a while for you to accept that? No, it took, it took a long time, especially because like the the issue is more, you like some stuff in there that you want to pull from. And, mm. you know, building your art style is also a lot of theft of like, I like how this guy draws faces. I like how this guy draws, I don't know, arms and buildings and stuff and you you pull from different influences and you mix them together and the result is you basically most of the issue was trying to figure out how to make my own I don't even want to say my own style but I draw in a way that feels mostly me Mm -hmm. where you can tell that the influences are there but it's not like I just copied them one-to-one and that takes a long time like similarly I had to like I redrew entire pages of Hellboy just to sort of figure out how, not just the composition, but also why he would simplify things the way that he did. And then I mixed it with a bunch of different things. Like there's a lot of like uh, Franco-Belgian influences in the art as well, which is why my art is, you can tell that there's a lot of Hellboy in there, but there's also a lot of like more rounded, more soft shapes. And that comes, I think, more from the Franco-Belgian side of my diet. So that I want to sort of, segue into when you sort of broke in to the comic books industry. And that's always such a hard concept because I know a lot of people like breaking looks different to different people. Like some people I talked to and they're like, I, I don't know if I have broken in yet. And some people, it's a gradual process. So do you feel like it came about with Julia? Cause that was the, like with TKO, that, that that's a pretty big publisher. W- was that the moment where you felt like, okay, I'm here, I'm doing it. There's this feeling of, okay, I've managed to get a book in now the challenge is how do I make sure that I stay you know like yeah like basically you got into the room like they opened the door they got you for like one attempt now you have to make sure that you can stay and I'm not even sure at this point that I've managed it like it's starting to sink to sink in mostly because the people who hire me once tend to come back and so once you've been hired by different publishers to do something and then they come back and they give you more things to do, you start to feel like, okay, now you're starting to get some kind of a of a ball rolling. And I guess the main difference between last year and now is that last year at the same time, I was thinking, what am I going to do next year? I don't know if this is going to continue. And I, and I was actually kind of like anxious about it. This year, I've had to say no to so many different things that I know that the stuff is going to keep coming. Like I already have like enough work scheduled for next year that I, I, my next year is already planned basically. And that's a positive sign as well of like mm-hmm. the, the machine has started to function by itself. How much of this was like, according to plan, like how much of the, like, did you sort of get that first book in and then say, okay, these are the things I'm going to do to sort of stay in the room or was it all just sort of, you know, taking it as it comes? Uh, it's definitely taking it as it comes but there's also a, a sort of like orienting things in the direction that you want so uh, I got TKO I got I got Jelia published at TKO because I emailed them first and at the same around the same time DC and the next year Marvel contacted me it was more a question of like DC offered me a book to work on and I said I'm not interested in that but I would love to work on Robin and so they had a rubbish short story. And so they gave me that. 
uh, TMNT is the same thing. Like the when they got me on the, on the Ninja Turtles, it started with a cover and then another cover. And I kept saying, if you have like an opening on a book, I would love to like get to draw something. And it was even better than expected because they gave me the annual. So I got to write and draw the story, which, you know, it's it's a lot of like, it's also telling them what you want to do. Once they once they when, once they've given you like a sign that they're interested, it's also good, I think, to sort of like orient things in a direction that you want to work in. So telling them I'm interested in this type of story or character or stuff like that, like just being able to, I want to say, take ownership of the direction that your career is is taking, at least in as much as you get to choose which kind of projects you're you're working on. Otherwise, you're just given stuff that they think you would be a good fit for, but not necessarily stuff that you're interested in. And and it's also good to be able to tell, to show publishers, I'm interested in this thing that you may not necessarily guess. Like there's a project that I can't talk about yet, but they wanted me on a, on a story and I actually wanted to work on something completely different that they also had in the same project. I know that they would not have given it to me if I hadn't said I'm interested in this specific guy because I don't know, I vibe with him much more than the guy that you wanted to give me. Is that something that came naturally for you? Because I feel like, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself here, but given an opportunity, I feel like it requires some gumption to go to them and say, by the way, I'd like to do this stuff too. Was that something that came easily for you? I have a bit of an issue of being able to tell people what I want. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so at first it was scary, but like I grew up with a dad who's very like uh, headstrong and he's been freelancing for as long as I can remember. So like I've always, I've, I think I, I grew up watching how he would do things and he was very like clear about what he wanted. And he himself says that he he has a reputation of being kind of annoying because he tends to like be very clear and blunt about what he wants and what he needs. Once he has everything he needs, he disappears for like two weeks and he gets the job done and then he sends you the stuff. And I tend to sort of try to work the same way of like making comics is can be tedious and very long. So like if you're not working on something that interests you, what what's the point? So when I get contacted by a publisher telling me we want you on this and I don't want to do it, if I get if I see an opportunity to work on something that I do want to do, I don't see a reason not to do it because like the um, you what's the saying again? Like you miss hundred percent of the shots you don't take or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like there's no harm in in voicing your interest in something, and and I think it's also in how you do it. Like you don't say no, this thing that you want to give me is bad. You don't you say this is nice, but I would rather like I'm more, I'm very interested in this. Can I get this instead? Like that's a you know there's a way to also voice your interest you brought up a lot of things there i want to get back i want to get back <laughs> to but i want to start because i also find it interesting and i'd read this in a previous interview with you where you talk about the shift of writing for yourself and then writing for an audience was yeah. there a, a transition there and did it affect you at all as a creative or did you just have to trust yourself i think the biggest thing was the fear of people's reactions to what you've made mm-hmm. like there's a fear of, there's a fear of them not liking the thing itself but there's also like depending on what you work on and how much of yourself you put in it you also get scared of people sort of judging you through the work that you did and so like I I think Jelia was good for that for this of like giving me the opportunity to sort of see how people react it's given me enough confidence that like I I'm 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 I feel more free I guess in writing in, in writing what I want to write and and just making the stuff that I want to make and not worrying too much about how people are going to react so I stick to just making sure that my story is, is as understandable as I want it to be but beyond that I try not to think about the audience too much 
we touched on this a little bit, but this whole concept of sort of building your brand as a creator, was that something that you consciously think of? Are you thinking like, oh, I need to build out this image of, of how I want to be seen in the industry? Or, or does it, is it all just sort of following what interests you? Some of it. Like there's a lot of like tiptoeing and trying to figure out because I mean, honestly, the, the I've been working on this stuff full time for like two years, I think. I haven't had time to actually sit down and think about what happened. I very quickly got started receiving work and not having any downtime to think about what the hell is going on. I've also had a sort of a chaotic private <laughs> life. So like, there's no time for me to like sit down and be like, okay, what's going on and what direction do I want to take? The only thing that I can say was a very conscious choice was that I try to be as, I try to avoid black characters as much as I can uh unless the story is interesting to me so like basically what i explained especially to the biggest publishers was that i i don't want to work on a black character or black related subject unless i've asked for it because i want to do it because i'm interested in it not because you think he's black we're going to give him something black to make so a lot of that was saying no to projects because i could very quickly tell that i was chosen because of my skin color more so than my style or my interest in whatever subject and again, it's this thing of like, you're being told, this is, here's this project that we wanted to give you. And you're like, the only thing I have in common with this subject is that the character is black. Whereas I would like to work on this character who is white or whatever else, because I happen to share a lot of their life experience or the, the anxieties that they have or whatever. And that was the biggest conscious choice of this is where I want my career to go was I want to make sure that my brand, so to speak, is that I'm not just a Black creator. Every time I hear about people turning down projects, I'm curious what that process is like, where you can look at a project and say, no, this isn't right for me. Have you always sort of had that sense in you? Or is this something, because I imagine when people first get there, they get all these offers and the impulse is, well, I'm, I'll just take it because it's work. When, when did you sort of start judging projects as things you consciously wanted to work on and not just, it's work, I'll take it? When I graduated, I got hired to work on a book for the French market and it went very poorly. And I sort of like had this reaction of, I, I know basically what it's like to work on something that you don't like making uh, with people who you disagree with. And I just figured, I don't want to get into that again. Like I'd rather worry about money than have to spend months working on something that makes me unhappy. The issue that I had basically was... I don't want to have to suffer. So if I receive an option, um, a project proposition and I clearly can tell that I'm not I'm not fit for it or I don't know what to do or I just I'm not interested, the best thing that I can do is stay away from it because it's not first it's going to make me unhappy and second the pro the, the product of it will not is not going to be good and it's not like you need to be able to you need to be able to put out good work, basically, because like that, people don't know in which conditions you were making the thing. All they know is that the thing that you made is not good. Yeah, like I didn't, I had no reason to make myself suffer, and I had no reason to make something that I don't think is going to be worth putting into people's hands. So I, I want to again sort of backtrack to something you'd said before, which was you know once you have that foot in the door, the challenge is to then stay there, to stay sort of in the conversation especially in the early going, how were you doing that? Were you putting out short stuff, independent stuff? Were you self-publishing? Because I, unless it went straight from, 
you know, once you were there, then you got all these offers. Was there a period where it was like you had to create stuff for yourself, create these opportunities to oh, stay? Yeah. yeah. So basically, I, when I graduated, I think it was 2018. And there was a phase of like basically worrying because I started making West African fantasy type stuff uh, when I was still in school. And because I had been told that this probably wasn't going to work out, that it wasn't something that publishers would be interested in, I figured, okay, I'm going to post it on the, inter on the internet and see what happens. And I made a Twitter account and uh, started posting short stories that I was working on with someone. And then like the, the interest started growing from there. But there was still a phase of like a good year or two of doing different I worked in video games for a year and and like graphic design and stuff like that I, you know just trying to make stuff in between trying to get the ball rolling on this and then I ended up contacting TKO after a good two years of trying to get my to get Jelia published in France I contacted TKO and because uh Sebastian Gurner the the uh, chief editor had been he had been following me for a while basically so because of that, when I contacted them, he told me, we don't usually take offers, but I've been following what you've been doing for like a year or two. So I want to see what you have to offer us. That would not have been his response if I hadn't been posting stuff before. Mm. And I mean, finished comics of 19 pages, 30 pages, depending on mm -hmm. stories. But yeah, basically I showed what I was able to do and then it's, it got into the eyes of the right people. And then when I manifested myself, I just had the terrain was already prepared, basically. I love hearing that the stuff that you had put out there was what essentially opened the door that otherwise wouldn't have been open. Cause that's, that's something that one of the main things we talk about here is sort of breaking in and how to get people to notice. And you're a great example of that. You, you were putting stuff out there until you got that opportunity, Yeah, which I wanted to ask you about, you know, the, the pitching side of it, but it sounds like the pitching side was already essentially either half done because you had done all this work ahead of time. So the pitch was essentially him saying, yeah, let's see what you can do. Was there any, Anything still, I mean, pitching is stressful in and of itself, but was there anything still difficult in that pitching stuff? Or was it really like he heard the idea, he liked it, you ran with it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was extremely quick. The uh, I sent him a PDF that I had made. He said yes. And I was lucky because like he had no reason to change anything in the concept or, or anything like that. Mm. So, and the process with TKO is very quick. Even now, like it's even quicker now. Like the, now that we've made a book together, they know how I work. Like the last book, my next graphic novel is with them. And, and like it was signed in an hour. So, you know, the, the, from, from, from him asking me if I have something new and me sending the pitch an hour later, it was, it was uh, greenlit. And then how did that process differ? Cause monkey meat was, a year later, less than a year later, was the process of pitching the image, was it, was the pressure off since you had that original book or that, that first book out there? Or how was that process different? I would say it wasn't mostly because it, it's image. So <laughs> uh, just, just because of that, you get, you'll, you'll stressed. Uh, but yeah, similar thing. I just sent a PDF and it's the thing of like TKO's editor put me in contact with images editor. And then I just sent my PDF and he said, yes. Same thing. The process was really quick. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was, I've been very lucky in that regard so far. Like the, um, 
the stuff that's at least on the creator own side of things every pitch that i sent has been accepted and i think yeah the thing that i kept saying was that the uh the um, ninja turtle uh annual that i made i i think i broke the uh the record of how quickly nickelodeon greenlit the, the pitch so yeah so far i've been lucky like the react the reactions have they they make you feel confident in your ability mm-hmm. i guess because you can see that people get excited about the stuff that you make i'm rewinding here again but rewinding to when you first sent that pitch to tko you know another thing that i feel like a lot of creators struggle with is sort of knowing when the time is right not doing it too early but knowing when it's ready did you just have a sense that this project was ready to get out there yeah i mean i have been working on it for like a good three four years and i mean at some point i just needed to get it out like it was it was basically sitting there and i knew that i was on something so it was more so a matter of like figuring out who was going to help me finish it so yeah like I, I had been working on it for so long that there's also a point that you get where you get to um to realizing that you've done everything that you can do alone and you need other people's eyes on it and people who have some expertise and I'm, I mean, I was lucky because like Sebastian Gurner is very good at it. He's, he has a very good eye on how to make your story better. So he was probably the mm-hmm. best option that I could possibly ask for. And then, you know, you've worked, as you mentioned, at Ninja Turtles, and you've also done your original content, obviously. How does your approach differ when you're working in established universes and when you're creating your own? You have a lot more lore to think about. There's a lot of like, I guess the example of the Ninja Turtles is a good one because like it's a, it's a universe that I know. I, I even want to say it's a multiverse that I know because like I've been exposed to TMNT from my whole life. So various cartoons and books and comics and stuff. Uh, and I've been reading this particular iteration of the TMNT since it started. So when they contacted me, like, I love the TMNT. Like, I don't think you can see them, but the table that you have right here, uh, there's a bunch of turtles in the plants turtle figures but yeah like i love i love the tmnt and so in this particular instance i knew the the universe i knew the world i knew the rules and i knew how all these characters function and think so i would say the main difference is that you have the pressure of making sure that you don't break the rules of the universe that you've been invited in but it's also very gratifying to just be able to sort of like have fun with characters that you know like I discovered that writing Mikey is extremely satisfying for some reason. Like being in the headspace of Mikey is very nice. When you approach something that is established like Ninja Turtles, how much, you know, especially with having a style into this universe, like especially working in the rules that they've already set, is there anything that do you have to restrain yourself at all? Or is it pretty, pretty organic for you to fit in there? I would say it depends on what you're writing for. I haven't done much of that yet. Mm-hmm. But I've done the Black Panther and the TMNT mostly. Like I, maybe there's something else that I can't think of. The biggest thing is that because you're working with a universe that's been designed by other people where you need to be able to not break anything that other people are supposed to use afterwards, most of the restraint is in that. You have limitations. So the TMNT annual, for example, I wanted to use a character and they told me you can't because he's supposed to be used for this thing later so and it's stuff like that so you have to work around certain limitations but i mean in the case of the tmnt it was actually kind of nice because like there's no they weren't that annoying <laughs> they weren't annoying at all in fact like i i have to say the i was expecting it to be much more complicated than, complicated than it turned out to be 
And on Black Panther, I was lucky because like I was some doing something that's kind of like out of continuity completely. I could just do whatever. So yeah, the like I I I think that's mostly where where I enjoy working, like being able to not worry too much about continuity issues and and stuff like that. But yeah, you have the limitations that you have when you work on something like that. It's kind of like part of the course. And then I don't usually like asking how things feel, but being that you were such a Ninja Turtles fan, how did it feel to be able to write in that universe? I guess it was stressful for like two days. <laughs> and then and then like most of the fun is like, yeah, it was mostly fun actually. Because because again, there's, there's this thing of like, I was very happy with the fact that on this annual, they didn't have any rules. I decided that I wanted to work on just the four titles and no one else, no one else, and make my own uh, villain and and make a story out of that because the entire the entire basically the entire idea I had it before they even asked me, and it just so happened that they needed someone to write the story. So like the 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 alignment of the planets was fortuitous, you could say. So I was just lucky. It was a personal project from the get go because it was something that spoke to me in a very particular way. And I was lucky enough to be able to make it. Like once you once you you get over the fear of oh my god am I gonna mess this up, the rest of this is really just the fun of being able to play with the toys. I guess I could tell that there was confidence on the publishing side of like yeah we 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 believe in we believe in you we know you're gonna make something good. So mm-hmm. I could really lash out and just do whatever I wanted. So yeah, that was fun. And I, uh, even now I, I still work with them. I have another TMNT story coming out. So I, and, and it was the same process of like pitching something and they say yes. And I get to make something that I honestly thought they would not let me do. Yeah. It was nice. What I've been really wanting to ask you about this whole time, the, the process of developing a character for you, because I, I feel like speaking specifically about Julia and about monkey meat, the characters are both they're so unique from both a story standpoint and from a visual standpoint, like especially Thad Lug. He was the first one that came to mind, but also Prince Mansour from, from Jalea, where they have such a distinctive look to it, but they also have such unique and again, complex character traits. They're not just one dimensional characters. So I wanted to talk to you about sort of your process. If you want to pull from them specifically, great. If not just sort of your process in creating a character, sort of where it begins for you and how you, fit them into a story or does it start with them and the story builds around them or what's the process like for you okay so i'm gonna spoil my next project because i'm right in the middle of it (laughs) uh i'm right in the middle of that phase basically okay so usually it can start with a drawing like just an idea of like i I will draw something and i'm like this is cool i want to draw it more and then i try to figure out personality of that design so like lug started like that when i was a teenager it took like a good 10 years to figure out who this was but very often now what i tend to do is that i start with a story idea or a character idea and i try to work something out of it so these days i'm trying to figure out a story around the concept of the trickster to understand what i'm going to explain you need to understand that the trickster is an archetype of character who exists in basically every known culture that i can think of because he's present in all kinds of different stories. So Loki is a good example. And in France, there's this uh, character called um, Renard Fox, the fox. And the archetype of the fox is just like Loki, mischievous, plays with your naivete, manipulates you. He has his own sense of morality and basically is only obsessed with what do I want and how do I get it? Even if that means lying and stealing and hurting people. 
I wanted to use more of a French influence for this character, so I ended up making this guy. And That's so, awesome. even visually speaking, I try to make him look like like a sly thieving character. I make him lean. I make him like with a very snarky look to his face. When it comes to his psychology, I did some research on Carl Jung and the archetypes in psychology, uh, in psychoanalysis. And the use of the uh, trickster character in old folk tales and legends and stuff like that. And what came was that a lot of the stories that focus on the trickster tend to be stories about how the world became the way that it is. The trickster would steal fire for the, from the gods and give it to, to, hum, to humanity, stuff like that. And so when it came to the psychology of this character, he's a trickster. So he steals, he lies, he manipulates, but he also sort of like views himself as deserving of more respect because he's been basically he's been giving the world enough knowledge to build the society full of laws and rules that he himself doesn't follow so there's this paradoxical thing of he built the world that he himself cannot live in anymore because everyone hates him because he's a liar and a thief and so every aspect of this story is going to be about how he lives in this world that he created himself, where he feels like everyone is an ingrate because they have all this stuff thanks to him. Mm. And they expect him that he's a liar and a thief, so they don't want to have anything to do with him anymore. And a lot of the stories, like a lot of my characters are built in this way of trying to figure out a main character trait and then something that create a, uh, creates a paradox in them. Mm. So... Mansour is this guy who is really soft and nice and gentle, but he was born in an environment where he was expected to be tough and, and very strong and very like masculine in a lot of like obvious ways, like a lot of traditionally masculine ways. And I had my conflict there because I thought, okay, this is a guy who does not have the temperament to be a brute, but he's being asked to be a brute. So his way of trying to deal with it is that he's going to try to be one, and I especially like him in the first chapter of Delia because he's all about trying to present this image of him as the cool guy who gets the money uh, and the women and everything and, and and the respect of other people. But you can tell that he's trying to put on a facade that's just not him. And a lot of my characters are made in this way of like trying to figure out where the where's the paradox in that person and how do I make a story out of that. I, would, I almost want to say two people, like they, they they project something and then there's all the stuff inside that they're not telling others or not telling themselves. And that's where you can sort of figure out the story, an arc and, and their motivations as well. I want to get back to your trickster in a second, but you mentioned that you'd had Lug since you were a teenager. This was like a character that you had written from a young age. So... I find that so interesting because he fits organically into the monkey meat story. Was, was he always going to go into that story or was he kind of just like a character without a home until you found the story? He was always going to go there. He was always going to be sort of the brutish guy who fights the monsters and works for the company. But he was much more simple originally. He was much more um, one note, I guess. Uh, and then I guess he came into his own in in when I wrote the first issue, mostly because it's at the moment where I decided, okay, this is a guy who he's working for the most evil entity around that has to like mess with your head, but not in, not necessarily in a way where he's a heroic figure who thinks what I'm doing is wrong. It's more so even on a on a more selfish level, he's starting to realize how it didn't bring him anything. And he's being used and, and and discarded very easily, just like everything else. 
and his conflict and his his resentfulness comes mostly from that. So we're not dealing with a guy who suddenly wakes up one day and decides to be a hero for the people. We're dealing with a guy who doesn't like the fact that he's been spoiled and abused like everything else. And and I found that more interesting, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like he has the potential to be someone who rises for the 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 the, the needs and, and rights of everyone else. But right now, at least at this stage, he's more coming to terms with the fact that he's a victim. I, I like what you said about, I mean, he, he definitely comes across the character who had the potential to be one dimensional, but then he develops as you go. You mentioned sort of discovering that about him in the first issue. So that what I was going to ask originally was sort of how well you knew Thad before you started the story and how much of him developed as you told the story and realized that he's actually much more compelling if you add these other layers to him. So it sounds like you sort of develop the characters as you create the story. Yeah, it's often the case. Like even this mm-hmm. one, like I, I've done it enough times now that like the, you start to see what kind of like steps you're going to need. Uh, especially when it comes to telling a story, like I like like I the, the trickster story that I'm working on. There's a there's a, an entire story that I want to do where basically uh, the trickster and two other characters start with a, all of them have a different stand uh, a, a different stand on a notion of should you work on yourself to try to be better or should you just accept who you are and be the most version, not the best version, but just the most version of who you are. And the trickster's idea is. I'm basically I'm 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 an asshole and that's just who I am and I just I just accept me how I am and the whole point of the story later is him being forced to be in a situation where he has to perform an act of kindness and how that messes with his head because he just did something that at the beginning of the story he thought was an act of weakness and how that that forces him to reassess who he is so and like and it's something that I, this morning, I didn't have this idea yet. Now I have it. And I'm like, this is a whole new door that I just unlocked in getting into the psyche of this character. It's almost like the character tells you who they are. You imagine situations or like, or, or the more you think about who they are and how they think, the more you think about situations that you would, that you know are going to be interesting to put them in because it forces them to show sides of themselves mm-hmm. that even you did not necessarily think about. Do you feel like you build the character to fit the story or do you build the story and then fit the character into that story? I would say it depends. Like the, the last TMNT story that I made was uh, with um, Alopex, the, the fox. It started off with this idea because I, I sort of sympathize with her on the fact that she's a character who is kind of in the background and doesn't really get much to do and doesn't get much doesn't get much consideration from the rest of the team. And so it started with this of like this is the mindset that I find interesting for her. And then I imagined the story to go with that based on the elements that uh, I was given. But the ending that I got to was the result of me starting with this starting point of this is the mindset that she's in, what kind of events do I want her to go to to develop this into a full story? Whereas with the trickster, I sort of already know where I want it to end. And now I'm building characters to try and figure out how do I get them to this story that I want to tell and different steps that I want to take. Mm-hmm. But something that's kind of important, I think, to me is that you may have an idea of what the story is going to be in the events. But the more you think about your characters, the more it's very likely that the story is going to change mm-hmm. because they, they take you into directions that you did not necessarily consider, even like opposite directions to what you originally wanted to do. 
I mean, especially if it's something that happens later on in a story, is that something that can have effects that you then have to go back and change things previously? Or, or, or is it always like an effect where it just changes the outcome? I guess it's very fluid in that sense. Like it varies from story to story and from different characters. Um, but yeah, it's very common for me to sort of start with an idea and then it changes because it turns out the character doesn't would, would not do that. Or I come up with something that's actually more interesting for them to do than what I originally planned. So yeah, it, it varies. Like it, it's a very, um, it's a very like changing process. It's it's no no story is the same basically. One thing that you've mentioned a few times that I haven't had a chance to follow up on it is how much research you put into these things. I know I, I've read about the research you put into the Julia, and you mentioned researching the trickster. Yeah. How how do you go about research? Because that can sometimes be an endless hole of you can just keep researching and never actually start the creation process. So when do you begin that creation process? Do you do it while you're researching or do you like set a deadline? I'm going to research this much and then I'm going to start creating. What's your sort of what's your process with research? For me, it's both at the same time. So I'm watching videos and reading about um, psychoanalysis and archetypes and stuff like that. And at the same time, I'm doodling characters. And, and basically what I pull from the research, I try to put into my stories and my designs, um, meaning that the designs can very much change as well. So like the, the design that I showed you, I like how it looks, but for all I know, once I get to the actual final pages, the design will be completely different because by that time I will have found something else that makes me go in a completely different direction. So yeah, it's, it's, and I mean, it's still the very early stages. So you never really know how things are going to evolve, but yeah, generally speaking, I tend to do both at the same time. And just let my brain mix stuff together until I get to something that I'm like, yeah, okay, this is working. This is what I want. I also tend to prefer things that I want to draw. So I was I was on Twitter an hour ago and I saw a music video and there was a boat and I was like, I want to draw a boat. So I'm gonna put I'm gonna put a boat in my story because it tells out I didn't know how to do a particular sequence. And like putting the characters in a boat actually solves my problem and I want to draw that particular boat so you know it, it's it's actually as simple as that I love this and I'm now so excited to see the boat when this story comes out because I'm going to know that this was the boat that you saw in Twitter. <laughs> that's gonna be great and then the last thing I haven't had a chance to ask you about yet is sort of especially now that you are working on so many projects you said you've got your entire next year filled out sort of the time management aspect of balancing multiple projects do you do one project at a time or are you sort of working on them all at once all at once i have i have a board next to me full of like the different projects how far along they are and when the deadline is yeah <laughs> i should probably cut down i will cut down because like it's a little too much and this this year i made i finished i made an entire like 150 graphic novel Mm. 150 pages and I finished another 150 pages graphic novel so I have two coming out next year, next year on top of the short stories that I've been working on it's a lot at some point it's it's probably not super healthy so yeah the, the time management is going to need to be changed a little bit I think and this is probably something that especially people who start out might sympathize with there's this fear of it's going to stop at some point so I have to take mm. every chance that I get every opportunity and everything so a few months ago I started saying no to things I'm going to keep doing that because it's best to be able to sort of like space out things and have enough time to work on everything the way you want how how has that changed from whenever you first started creating because now presumably you're on deadlines I assume 
how were you managing time when you first started? Was it sort of just all in? Was it? So when I was working on Jelia, I had no other. I mean, I had that French comic that I was working on. Yeah, when I when I started working on Jelia, just the writing part of things, it wasn't signed yet. It, it was just me working on it at my own pace, and it took me years. So that was great because that means you can just put it down and go do something else for weeks if you want, and you can come back whenever you feel like it. Now there's much more of a pressure of, you know, that at, at this period you don't have anything else. So, oh, the publisher is expecting this to be done by this date. So now it's more, much more, there's more pressure and more like the thing that I want to avoid is ending up in a situation where I make things just to make things, you know, just like because you're expected to keep putting things out. And I don't want to, I don't want to fall into that trap because it's, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And, and again, the end result is not going to be very good. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to try and be able to control the pace of my output a little better. Since we're almost out of time here last, but certainly not least, I want to give you a chance to promote things, to tell people where they can find you, what's coming up. <laughs> you said you've got a lot of stuff coming out next year. So what, what can you tell us? What do you want to promote? Uh, that's the thing. I can't tell you anything because I'm one of those people who finishes books months and months before they even announced. So everything that I've made this year, aside from, so there's the TMNT Alliance number three that's coming out early next year that I did the art and the, and the story for. Aside from that, everything else that I have coming, I can't talk about because it's not been announced yet. And then where do you want to throw out where people can find you? Are you on social media? If people yeah. wanna... uh, so it's Juniba on both uh, Instagram and uh, Twitter, which it's either a dot or an underscore, depending on whichever app. But like just typing my name is going to be enough. Yeah, those are the only two places so far. Uh, I made a Tumblr. going to post art on it at some point. Um, but yeah, so so far it's just this. I'm not, I'm not necessarily the biggest social media person. <laughs> Most of the things to look out for are that I have two graphic novels coming out next year. And I think people are going to like them. Like I I was kind of scared after Jelia, especially there's always this pressure of like, what's he going to do next? I already made Monkey Meat and the reception was good. So mm. I guess the pressure has disappeared a little bit. But next year I have two graphic novels and I'm kind of curious to see what people are going to say. Well, if no one else says this, I'm very excited for it. So you've got one person here excited for them. (laughs) Uh, Awesome. So we're out of time. Junie, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate your insights and this discussion. It was really, really great. Thank thank you. And to all of our listeners, we're going to be back December 7th with another panel. Uh, You can go to negativespace.com backslash events to sign up for that. And you'll also see all of uh, this recording will be up next Wednesday if you didn't get a chance to see it all. Uh, And we will see you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye.